Good evening, and welcome to another round of Redacted Gentlemen. This is episode four. Are we on four, ah, John? Something like that. Four? I don't know. We're somewhere around there now. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, uh, we're somewhere in there, but hey, we're a few whiskeys deep, so that's okay. Yeah, um, right we are. So today we're going to be discussing how President Trump can win the election. Yeah, if- so can, yeah, can President Trump win the two, 2020 election. Can it happen? That's and that's yeah. that's where we're going here. Is this even a possibility at this point? Obviously, both sides of the media, they're going back and forth. Uh, they're they're yeah. both extreme on one side or the other. Can it happen? Could it happen? We'll we'll discuss that as we get yeah, into it. Will it happen? Our whiskey review. Yes. Right? What are you drinking right. today, Chuck? So. <clears throat> We have the Airstone. Oof, that yeah. looks great. That looks fantastic. You had this one with me. Uh, I think last time you uh, you came up for a couple of days. Um, oh, nice. So we had this one. Uh, it's the Airstone Sea Cask. Uh, it's aged ten years, but it is actually it's it's very smooth for a ten year uh, Scotch. Uh, Airstone actually has two different Scotches that they release. They have the Sea Cask which they put in casks in warehouses by the sea, and they have the land cask, which they keep further inland. And both actually have very different uh, different profiles to them. It's, it's pretty good. Um, if you have, if, if you love the slight salt that you get from a space side, uh, like I, that I enjoy, I, I like to see it. If you want a little bit more of that peat and that smoke, you know, like you get from an LA, then you'd like the land cask. Now it's not extreme to one side or the other, but it is very good whiskey. Dude, how about you? What do you dude, have? The um, well, first before I even say anything, how romantic is that? I, I absolutely love the way the Scots handle whiskey, man. I mean, it, it's just it's such a romantic, romantic venture. The other thing I will say is, you know, I had the the um, luxury of uh, going to actually the last two years. I've had the luxury, we've had the luxury, uh, Fire Pit Hospitality and Lincoln Spirit Brewing Company of sponsoring the Whiskey Mash, which is an ama- absolutely amazing event that's thrown here in Miami every year where there is an inordinate amount of whiskeys and, and uh, distillers that set up to uh, serve whiskey. But the bottom line is this Whiskey Mash, they have tons of different types of whiskeys and you taste some do you taste many whiskeys that I certainly can't afford, you know, 20 some odd year whiskeys. And I could be honest. The one thing I did notice is as those whiskeys age, sure. They get incredibly smooth, but I just feel like a lot of those sharp edged flavor characteristics also fall off. And I found that the 10 year, maybe 12 year, but really kind of that 10 year. Now, mind you caveat, I'm an American whiskey drinker generally, which tend to be a little more harsh, but those 10 year scotches were fantastic. They really, really were um so yeah just big big shout out to the scots now i am drinking what i can only refer to as my old faithful this is this is what i get at a low to medium level dive bar um maybe they a dive bar where they have a little something more than jameson on the rocks which is i'll get at a dive bar this is bullet rye so bullet rye probably owned by diageo or one of these other conglomerates it's a well-priced bottle of whiskey. It's a daily drinker. You, you've heard Chuck and I talk many times about the necessity of having 
um, a quote unquote shitty bottle of whiskey to, to, uh, to pound. So I've been building out the other spot all day. So I figured uh, after a handful of Modelo's, we'd switch this night bullet rye. So drinking bullet rye today, a really, really good value, value whiskey. Um, again, rye, my personal favorite, which just means I believe there's 51% rye, I think is the, um, the law as stated. So I'm um, very, very nice whiskey. So I'm really enjoying that. But um, I would love to start this off, Chuck, with, you know, an explanation. Let's, let's, let's explain the concept of the electoral college. Cause I feel like most people, under, most people understand the electoral college is nothing more than a representative of the popular vote. In other words, we're in the state, we vote, we're the ones, we in this state determine who the president is. Um, and we pass, we, we vote in the state of Florida, we have 29 electors, we vote. Um, here, uh, um, obviously the state of Florida was red this year, pretty, pretty aggressively red, to be honest. So President Trump won our electors, um, which is 29. But that's and 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 that's we we kind of have this mindset that those automatically go to Congress and it's it's rubber stamped and we're great. But that's not how it works, is it, Chuck? No, that's that's not how it works at all. Um, so you mentioned that that Florida, and we'll we'll keep things Florida centric because that's the state we love and know. Mm -hmm. Has twenty nine electors, and. You know, a couple of years ago when I was first looking at this, actually 26, no, you know what? You and I were first looking at this in 2012. Yeah. 2012 election, we, we had some good discussion about this. Where do those electors come from? Yeah. Who chooses them, right? And and my complaint at the time, because I didn't really quite understand at that level is, why well, I never chose an elector. I didn't, who, who picks these guys? And so we have 29 in the state of Florida. The reason we have 29 is because that is exactly how many congressional representatives we have, senators and our, our representatives. 27 House members, two senators. Yep. There, yeah, break it down. Yeah, 27 House, two senators. Every state has two senators. But mm -hmm. so what we have is we have a number of electors who are anonymous to most people <laughs> until after the election uh, that are selected and how they're selected is actually by the party. And the way that's selected or supposed to be done, actually, no, it, it is actually done this way, is so in, in the state of Florida, 51% voted for Trump um, and you know, 49% roughly voted for Biden. But what happens is, is with all of those popular votes, the Republicans, the Democrats, and the third party members are allotted a vote if they received a certain number of, of, of votes. So they're allotted an elector. So if Trump got 51, he's allotted 15 electors appointed by Republicans for the state of Florida, right? That's how it is supposed to happen. Now, what actually happens is for 48 states we go with winner takes all so because there's 29 even though trump got 51 percent and and the republican party of florida gets to choose 15 electors it's winner takes all and so 29 electors are supposed to vote with the popular vote 
what ended up happening like in the 2016 election in which Trump also lost the popular vote, but won the electoral college is you had what's called faithless electors. And these were members that had pledged to vote one way, like they say to the Democratic Party, okay, I'm going to vote for Hillary. And what happens is, is they get up there and they vote the opposite party. Very now, rare. Very rare. <laughs> and now, and what's important to note at this point is that the Electoral College does not actually vote until December 14th. We have the popular vote. They're supposed to listen to the popular vote to kind of gauge how they're going to vote. But in all actuality, constitutionally, in the 12th Amendment, which is what talks about the Electoral College, there is no provision for a state to even hold a popular election. The state legislature could appoint the electors and have them go vote. So let, let me pause, Chuck, for a second, because I, I don't think the gravity of what you just said is going to be understood by, by many folks. I know it certainly wasn't understood by me when you first said it 15 minutes before the uh, recording of this. You, you, the individual at home that's listening to this, the state does not necessarily need you to vote. Now, mind you, we are speaking from a federal level. So, and the U.S. federal constitution they frankly don't give a shit how those electors are elected. So what does that mean, right? So what that means is the state of Florida, now all this is assuming that the Florida state law would not require a state election. Now, I haven't looked into Florida state law. I'm assuming that all, if not most states require a popular vote to, to at least assist in determination of those electors. But I know for a fact, even in 1876, which we'll get to later, Florida sent competing elector slates, but it's in here or there. But um, they don't, the federal government does not require the state to even hold election. You could sit there, right, at your house and just watch the president get chosen with zero input. So, um, and, and why is this? So, so I, I feel like anyone listening to this would get frustrated by that. And, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that or what I'm about to say, but the fact of the matter is we are the United States of America. And when, when this country was formed in 1776, it was a whole bunch of skeptical states coming together and saying, hey, listen, we're doing all fine by ourselves, but if we're going to get together and, you know, for national defense reasons and for infrastructure reasons, for many other reasons, if we're going to get together and join here, you know, we got to kind of agree on this. And if we're going to have a leader, we got to kind of agree on this. So states' rights, although they've been perpetually degraded by both parties for, for many, many years, have, you know, there was a, a, a strong importance to that that still remains in our constitution that has not been changed. So go ahead, Chuck. I just wanted to point that out. No, no, I, I absolutely. That's uh, very good to point out. States' rights are exceptionally important. As we know from military and government experience, all decisions are better left at the lowest possible level. Agree. You want, I as, you want as much power at that lower level yeah. as possible. Now, this is opinion. Right. I mean, th this is Chuck and I, Chuck and I, in our opinion, 
but but I mean that's it, it, he's exactly right. I mean, again, this is opinion, but I am it, Chuck and I are both states' here. rights guys. <laughs> it's empirical evidence, yeah. Chuck and I are both states' rights guys, and you know it is what it is. It has nothing to do with our because you know it has nothing to do with our political preference. That's not part of this show. But the point is, you know, we love our state of Florida, and any any individual, even at the lowest level, deserves some level of autonomy. So that plays into the federal elections. Right. So we're back to constitution, right? They're not constitutionally driven to have a popular vote. However, they are constitutionally driven to have an electoral college. Now, the electoral college cannot hold federal office, and that's key. Your senators and your congressmen cannot be part of the electoral college. That's They have to be elected outside of that. Now, the sad part is they do come from the parties. The parties know who, well, as we saw in 2016, the parties thought they knew who the, the loyals were. But as it turns out, sometimes, you know, they don't have to vote the way the popular vote goes. Yeah. A Democratic senator could go in there, and this is theoretical, but, but in 2020, a, a Democratic, you know, a electoral college could go in there and say, we've lost faith in Biden and Kamala. And therefore, you know, the, these number of us, we're all going to vote the opposite way. And that happened in 2016 and it could happen today. And which is kind of where we get to on this. And I just want to pause real quick. And I want to clarify, as John said earlier, we are not bringing our own politics into this. We are not, we are not going to be for, we're not going to be against any political candidate um, in accordance with the Hatch Act and the further restricted employees, we're not going to bring that into it because I legally can't. So we will keep it just based as to what the facts are. We are not supporting or, or, or you know, trying to defame any candidate for office here. But <clears throat> so where are we now, John? Where, where do we sit right now? So we're waiting for December 14th. Sure. So I, I think I think the key point is is so let's 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 discuss a couple key dates, and you don't have to write these down because I'm gonna gonna refer back to them. Um, November third, of course, is election day. Well, I think technically it's the first Tuesday in November, um, first Tuesday after the first Monday in November or something, um, election day. So, but really, those votes don't have to be certified until what we call the safe the, the safe harbor deadline which is December 8th. So we know, so, so where, if you've heard safe Harbor deadline before, it was probably in the 2000 elections, which was prior to the current one. And I would say even inclusive of the current one, the most disputed election um, in history decided by roughly 500 votes, which was Al Gore and George W. Bush, which-, which uh, The hanging uh, Chad. The hanging Chad, yes. And, and that's really what, to, to minimize that whole election, really it came down to a legal issue in which, in which George W. Bush, they did not believe that these ballots with hanging chads and these other issues, the state of Florida, of course, should be counted. And the Gore campaign thought they should be, and it was a legal battle, legal battle, and it pressed on, pressed on, pressed on all the way up until just about December 8th, the safe harbor deadline, which, so what is the safe harbor deadline? It's the date in which states must resolve any disputes over which ballots to count and report. 
So that's when the state needs to go, okay, this individual, Al Gore, George W. Bush, in this case, uh, Biden, President Trump, won the, won the election, won the more votes in our states, right? So it got to the point where they were bumping up against the safe harbor deadline and um, Al Gore did not see a path to victory, I guess, at least without a really, really aggressive legal push and he conceded. So, but that's the safe harbor deadline, December 8th. December 14th, right, six days later, is when the governors, need, or let's just say the states, will send forward their uh, certi- what's called a certificate of ascertainment to Congress, which basically is just send forward their slate of electors. Florida, let's just say, well, 100% chance Florida this year, DeSantis is going to say, I am certifying these 29 um, electors that are going, that have pledged to vote for President Trump, right? Again, these electors are random individuals. For example, Nancy Pelosi's daughter is uh, an elector. Um, there's a there's some college students that are electors. They're just kind of random individuals that are not that do not hold public office. But they're chosen by the individual parties. Correct. They're chosen by the party. Each state has a different standard on how they choose the electors, but generally it's the party that is choosing that. This is not these individuals are not voted on. You've never seen how these th- these things are done, but they've pledged. They've said. I am going to vote for President Trump. I am going to vote for for Joe Biden, Vice President Biden, or President-elect Biden, right? So that's December 14th. The exact same day these electors meet, they don't go to DC, they meet in that respective state, generally in the Capitol, and they meet and they say, all right, we are sending, in the state of Florida, it'll be all right, we're gonna send 29 votes to Congress and they themselves reach out to Congress and say, we would like to, I, one of 29 and voting for President Trump, two of 29 voting for President Trump. President of the the Senate, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sorry, yes, correct. They reach out to the president of the Senate, which is vice president, um, the vice president, right? So uh, they, they do that. Now, mind you, key point, technically these electors can do whatever the hell they want to do. So Elector Falco, who has pledged himself for President X, or sorry, Candidate X, can say, you know what? I'm feeling a little saucy today. I'm going for the other candidate, Y. So, um, which would be a faithless elector, right? Exactly as Chuck has, has pointed out. So that's December 14th. January 3rd, key point, is the start of the following Congress, not the current Congress, House of Representative, Senate, but the follow-on Congress. And then January 6th, these individuals meet to discuss um, um, this situation. Generally, it's a rubber stamp. Okay, we're good. President, uh, you know, let's just say the last election prior to this one, President Trump beat, uh, you know, President Trump beat uh, uh, candidate Clinton and we're gonna rubber stamp this. We're good, no controversy. That's not the case here. So let's let's just stop for a second. So, given what you have just heard and what you may or may not know, I'm going to run down not what I want to happen, not what I don't want to happen, but I'm going to run down for you how President Trump can legally become or maintain his presidency going into 2021 and beyond. 
All right. So hold on, John. Sure. Just to clarify for, for, for some people here, because there's been some contention. Can, can Joe Biden be called the president elect? No, I mean, votes have not been certified yet. So um, now there is the one thing you need to understand is this whole process is so rooted in tradition and so rooted in in norms that it's so gray. It's so gray. Now, one thing we have noticed, and this is a nonpartisan statement, is President Trump does not kind of, he, frankly, he doesn't give a shit about president norms, or, or sorry, about norms. He doesn't give a shit about tradition. We've seen that over and over again with him. Uh, it's been a presidential tradition and a norm to divest from your investments. It's been a presidential tradition and a norm to release your tax returns. He hasn't done that. And he that is his legal right to not do those things. For what, You may not like them, but that is his legal right. So, and, and you know what? That is who, and I'm going to use the, the royal we, we as the United States, based on our democratic principles, elected President Trump, whether you, I, he, her, like it or not, he was elected legally in 2016. And he only has to follow the law. And the law does not say he has to divest from these investments. The law does not say that he has to release his tax returns. Well, I mean, obviously there was a New York ruling, but that was for a different case. So he does not have to concede. That simple concession speech from a candidate is what makes all of this just rubber stamp. Well, that rubber stamp is gone, America. And it's now we are following the letter of the law and he is going to exploit that letter of the law. This is the individual who was not a politician. And, and, and this is who we have, whether you like it or not. And this is, is, and this is a law we have. So if you are not comfortable with that, we cannot blame any presidential candidate or sitting president. We can only blame our legislature, which creates laws, right? As much as our Congress loves to push off things on, on presidents or the Supreme Court, it's our Congress. All the time, they do of it. Oh, it's the president's fault. He won't sign the bill. Well, he wouldn't sign the bill because you, as the legislature, made it to fail because you put stuff in there of that course. we call pork, right? That he of wouldn't sign. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very standard. So back to my question, though. Can Biden call himself president-elect? Yeah, well, it's freedom of speech. That, it's a made-up term. Yeah, it's I mean, it is a made-up term. It's not in the law. It's no. not in the Constitution. So therefore, it doesn't matter. Correct. Correct. Now it's freedom of speech, right? Chuck Finley can call himself president-elect Finley. Now he's probably I, I not going to be our president. <laughs> I, I got, I ran for the president in my own house. Now I lost horribly to my wife, but <laughs> I will say that I, Fantastic. I, I did gain a, a single vote and I'm, I'm, I am president-elect. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's, I mean, I'm going to hold that election in my own home. And there's a there's a hundred percent chance. To be honest, I'll probably vote for my wife. She may vote for me because she's a sweet person. But my kids will certainly vote for her. 
So I will, I will, at, at the most, at the least, I will lose three to one. But um, so he could certainly call himself president-elect, but until those votes are certified, it's not. Now, mind you, um, Joe Biden's getting a lot of heat for calling himself president-elect and standing in front of a podium that says president-elect. Now, President Trump did the exact same thing in 2016. It's a social norm. It's a norm that's not get all wrapped up and emotional about verbiage. Okay, guys, come on. Right, we're better than that. So and that's what we cover here. We try to break free of emotional language. Yeah. And give you so here we are today, November 17th. We are less than a month away yeah. from that due date of December 14th. 14th, right? Fourth, correct, correct. December 14th. So let's say again. Sorry, Chuck, you broke up a little bit there, but what's oh go, go. Yeah, so so I'm gonna break down a situation in which if if I was advocating, if I was if I was next to President Trump and I said, All right, you and you said, and, and President Trump said, Falco, your life depends on me getting a second term right now, not in 2024, because it's important to know, regardless of what happens tomorrow, the next day, or on December 14th, presidents are allowed to serve two terms. So a single-term president can absolutely run four years from now, eight years from now, 12 years from now. So President Trump can absolutely run again in 2024 if he does not become our president in 2021 via the following steps. So here is what I would tell him he needs to do. I would say President Trump, First thing we need to do is we need to continue to degrade public faith in the validity of the election results, right? We're going to do that in a couple of ways, right? Because if, if President Trump comes out and says, hey, the elections were fair, but I don't believe him, that's going to be very difficult to carry on the, the, the rest of what he tries to do. So one, he's got to say that these are fraudulent election results, that there, there are, there, there's a widespread election fraud, that there are Actions have been taken even either by voters or by XYZ that put the results of the election, the popular election, put those results in question. Um, he has done that. So let me just say that he has absolutely done that via legal action. Just today, just this morning or yesterday morning, he said, I won. I won by a lot. He has continued to, to say that he has he has pending lawsuits. He has not had much success in those lawsuits. He's won a couple of them, but certainly um, it does not appear at this point that he has a clear path um, on those on those legal those legal steps. Um, again, you know, we all see, we, we'll see what the courts say, but he has certainly you know done taken many steps to try to invalidate these election results. Um, right. So on that, what's interesting is he, he has taken a lot of steps to invalidate the results. He has tried to cast doubt, sure. right? And from certain perspectives, he may not be wrong, uh, as we just saw with Georgia, and not that it's actually enough to change anything, but it's enough to cast doubt. Just today, they uncovered 2,700 missing votes. Now... Is that enough to break the 186,000 lead that Biden has? No, it's not. But it is enough to cast some doubt onto the legitimacy of the prospect. If you go, well, wait a minute, if 
2,700 votes weren't even counted that we just found, what does that mean? Sure, sure, absolutely, that absolutely. Does, that does count, cast some, some questionability in there. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, it, you know, it's it's a, a vote needs to be legal and it needs to be valid, right? Um, all signs point to the fact that there is certainly not a, a widespread enough election fraud to turn the vote in President Trump's favor. Um, by all accounts, based on this again, right? There's two votes. There's the initial state vote for the individual, the citizen vote. And there's the electoral vote, right? And the kind of the only one that matters, the electoral vote, as we spoke about. But there is certainly within that initial vote, which will be certified on December 8th, it does not appear at this point that that there, unless there's a smoking gun that's going to peek its head out here in the next 15 days or, or 20 days, it does not appear that that will get overturned. Biden certainly won that vote, at least, at least from what we see. So but doubt has certainly been cast, right? So let's just say that 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 has done these these legal actions. Maybe he wins a couple of these lawsuits. Maybe um, the folks at Newsmax, because uh, he's been pointing to Newsmax or even Fox News, start you know having some issues. Start start spreading this commentary. It certainly is spreading on social media amongst the supporters, right? So when the time comes, that December fourteenth date comes. And these blue swing states, right? So these swing states, so Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, right? These blue swing states that went blue, i.e. they Biden won them, Florida, Ohio, those all went to Trump already. Those are out of the question. Continue, Chuck, I'm sorry. By, by the popular vote. They won by popular, by popular vote. By popular vote, which does not, again, we're going to state this again, does not guarantee electoral college vote. 100%. So when these blue swing states, it, it comes time for them to, which has historically been a rubber stamp for their governor to say, hey, all right, Joe Biden won this state. We are going to send forward our electors, right? Those state legislatures, so their state Congress, if you will, they may claim, hey guys, there are insurmountable issues with this election, Right? I may probably focusing on mail-in or absentee ballots, which were heavily Biden. They may say, hey, it got, there are major issues with this. These mail-in ballots, these absentee, these are an issue. And all these in-place votes, those went to Donald Trump held the state, which is, a, is absolutely a fact. Democrats by far voted a higher percentage, or sorry, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Mail-in and absentee ballots, are by far at a higher percentage for Democrats. So let's say he's let, let's say these state legislatures say that there are insurmountable issues with the election. You know, Donald Trump is is the winner based on these quote unquote legal votes. Donald Trump is the winner of our state, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. So you know what? We're going to send forward a, a competing slate of electors. Okay, uh, uh, okay. Um, Governor, you may validate what the, the people quote unquote voted for based on this fraudulent election built. Uh, and again, I'm just, I, I, this is conjecture, right? Um, but we're going to send forward a competing. So let's just use Pennsylvania, 20 electors. Well, actually, John, okay, go back to Pennsylvania. But can we also bring in that hours ago, 
Michigan is now contesting and the the GOP will not validate the votes. So yeah. people are requesting to their legislature to appoint the electors. So so th this is so these are these are these certain steps. Now um, we'll talk at the end of the, this whole discussion. This is going to be a little bit longer of a podcast, by the way, but this is incredibly important, right? So the, we're going to talk at the end of this about, about where Chuck and I kind of see this and where we see, not, not personal opinion, but kind of where we see this headed. But let me just, just talk about this scenario here. Um, analysis, analysis and hard fact, not opinion. Exactly, right? So these state legislatures, and now we're seeing in Michigan, I guess, they're going to say, listen, we're going to send forward electors based on Donald Trump. So let's say Pennsylvania sends forward their 20 from Joe Biden and their 20 from President Trump. Now there's a key point here. In every single one of these, let's call them the important battleground states or these swing states, every single one of them, 100% of them have Republican controlled electorates, legislatures, sorry, Republican controlled legislature. That is a key point right so they send forward a second republican slate of electors so these let's assume that these electors are going to vote along what they are pledged whether it be republican or democrat right now we have seen in 2016 and it's very possible this time i would say it's more likely these republican electors may vote democrat as a faithless but let's assume faithless electors i.e. electors that pledge Democrat vote Republican or pledge Republican vote Democrat, let's say they don't turn the tide, right? So you have 20 electors, let's say one guy from Pennsylvania says, oh, I'm going to vote Republican. It's probably not going to turn the tide. At least it doesn't look as close as we thought it was. It's either going to be a sway one way or another. So they push these electors forward. So, so what does our constitution tell us? Our constitution tells us on January 6th, the new Congress not the current Congress, the new Congress, which looks to be more red than blue, by the way, the Republicans had a very, very good election in terms of Congress, not necessarily presidential, but in terms of Congress. So they hold a joint session, which just means that the House of Representatives and Senate all get in the, the same chamber, the House chamber. And this is where the true battle is. There's only one single governing law that governs what, which slate of electors, which list of electors they accept. And that only governing law is the Electoral Count Act. And it was passed after the 1876 election, which is right after the Civil War where this happened. It was a total disaster. It's not even worth getting into because it's not going to provide anything of clarity for us. But that is the only law. And that law is notorious for how confusing it is the complete lack of clarity it has. So let's talk about that law for a second. So now, where are we, right? So we are in, we're on January 6th. We got the new Congress, which is slightly more red than it is blue now. The blue, the blue, the, so the House of Representatives is still Democratic controlled. It's still going to be at the end of this election, although slightly less. The Senate is going to be, unless, well, I mean, we still have two runoffs in Georgia, but kind of appears that the Republicans are going to win those runoffs. So ultimately we're in a weird situation, right? In which we'll probably have a locked up Congress. So um, let's talk about the electoral 
account act in a second, but Chuck, you had something to say? So when was the electoral account act actually passed? So the electoral count act was actually passed right after 1876. So in 1876, real quick rundown, it's not too pertinent to these talks, but Rutherford B. Hayes, who actually became the president, Samuel Tilden, they had a very, very, very close election, even, even closer than the one here in 2020. Um, and it, it, obviously this was many years ago. We didn't have the security we have now. It was frankly total fucking chaos, right? So Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina sent competing sets of electoral uh, college slates you know, to Congress, same situation. There was, there was obviously not the Electoral Count Act then, so they had to kind of debate on which one, frankly, who's going to be president, which one of these slates to count. They negotiated, 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 and ultimately they said, all right, we'll make Rutherford B. Hayes the president in exchange for withdrawal of federal troops, call them Union troops, from the South. So it essentially, it essentially um, set into motion or ending reconstruction, right? And it ushered in, you know, Jim Crow and everything that is the South kind of up until today. So, um, but right after that, they passed this electoral count. I think, okay, we had so much problems with that. So sorry, excuse me. So many problems with that. So we are actually going to fix this. And they proceeded to pass perhaps the most confusing law in the history of laws, right? Which is the Electoral Count Act. So let's break down the Electoral Count Act a little. One, first, it's been virtually untested in court, right? It's literally never been used to resolve a contested election. Second, it's unclear how or whether the Supreme Court would intervene to interpret the law, right? So that's a key point. That may, it may come down to the Supreme Court, which now, as we know, is quote unquote, conservatively controlled. That being said, let me just throw something out there that's very important. Amy Coney Barrett put her aside because she's very new, but all these conservative uh, conservative justices that Trump has appointed now two, or sorry, I think now three, um, they don't create laws. Everyone likes to blame Supreme Court. They interpret laws. So we don't know how that would go. Third, um, oh, hold on one one second there one sure. second so just just to touch on that because part of what we do here and what we do in general uh at least in the intelligence world is we we attempt to stop rampant speculation that causes fear mongering right we yeah. look at fact. a lot of times we look at history uh sometimes we're actually asked to look at things like okay so in Iraq's last election, how many people were voted in to which party? And what does that mean for U.S. troops in Iraq? Sure. Right? Sure. And so we make these predictions and we try to allay fears. So what I saw from an, uh, from an analysis perspective, um, there was a lot of fear mongering going on with, with Amy Coney Barrett being elected to, to the Supreme Court. When you go through the history, though, yep. these justices actually tend to vote center-left rather than the hard right that sure. everyone that they're going to. So just allay your fears there that somehow, some way, they're all going to start leaning hard right. That's not the case. Yeah. It, it's, 
it, it's most often these the Supreme Court when they're elected to that position and they're accepted, most often these are people that look at the letter of the law and the interpretation. They don't make laws. They're not. 100%. Con- so you, you can put that to rest. If there is something that they, they can say, hey, definitively, this is against the Constitution, this is against the law, they, by majority, back that in most cases. Absolutely. Democrat controlled or Republican controlled. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 and we, we see that, you know, we, we see that in, in the Supreme court, we've seen that in, in, in recent judge, you know, in recent judgments, president Trump has not been happy with some recent judgments that he thought was, that he thought were going to go his way because he, they have a quote unquote conservative majority in, in the Supreme court. So let's just take a deep breath on, on the Supreme Court, you know, these are judges, these are professionals, these are the best of the best, right? And by all accounts, whether you agree or don't agree with Amy Coney Barrett's politics, right? She is an incredibly brilliant woman, right? She's a brilliant woman. And, and whether she's qualified or not, or sorry, whether she agrees with you or not, that's kind of irrelevant when it comes to this, you know? And it is what it is, right? So, but but we're not, that, that should have been an episode three weeks ago, four weeks ago, five weeks ago. But today we're talking about the Electoral College. So let's move on on the elect, the elector, uh, um, excuse me, Electoral Count Act. So third, some scholars argue that the law itself may be unconstitutional or unenforceable, right? So that, that could be a major issue, but let's get down to the point, right? So what the law actually states is if both parties, sorry, if both chambers agree, the House and the Senate agree, then we have ourselves a president. If they disagree, so most scholars, right, most constitutional scholars, when they look at this law, they say that the governor themselves would, it would go back to the certification of that governor. And in this case, um, the governor of Pennsylvania, the governor of Michigan, the governor of Wisconsin, they all have Democratic governors, so that would benefit Biden. Well, let's say just hypothetically that this continues to get pushed, and if it pushes to January 20th, then the Speaker of the House, i.e. Nancy Pelosi, gets sworn as a, sworn in as the President of the United States. So... This is it. Yeah. Pelosi gets sworn in. So this is how the law states. If so, this all starts, this all starts on December 14th, right? Then it, which, which is when they, they, they elect, they uh, push forward the, the slate of electors could be multiple slate of electors, but on January 6th, when they start discussing this 14 days is a very short period of time from our government's perspective. If this pushes to January 20th, then the, the Speaker of the House, which is currently Nancy Pelosi and will be then, gets elected the President of the United States. So that's an incentive for the Republicans, certainly, which I assume would rather have Joe Biden than Nancy Pelosi as the President. It's certainly, and it, it's not temporary, by the way. Nancy Pelosi gets sworn in as the President of the United States, period, for four years. So they have every incentive to, to continue to, to, to reach some level of an agreement. So, so this is the issue. So it's going to come down to what 
that how the how Congress and how perhaps the Supreme Court determines how the Electoral Count Act is um, is translated, and and how they're going to interpret that, because if it comes down to there also there are other discussions that state or there are other individuals or other scholars that state that it's a delegation vote. So so let's let's take a step back. If it comes down to a delegation vote, i.e., the state of Florida, how many representatives in the state of Florida? Well, actually, no, let's not use the state of Florida, excuse me, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. What percentage of their representatives and senators are red versus blue? Let's say it's a higher percentage of red, then they say, all right, we as the Wisconsin, as a Michigan delegation, we are going to put forward a red vote. When it comes down to it, there are 50 states in this United States, as we know. 26 of them before this election were red. That number's only grown. So what does that mean? That means if it comes, if, if the Supreme Court determines that it's a delegation of state vote and there's competing slate of electors, which is very, very possible, and 26 plus states say we are going to validate President Trump's electors, President Trump maintains the presidency for the next four years. And that, and that is a very, very possible outcome if he pushes this. Now, that, that, that kind of comes down to, so, so we know that's possible, right? So, but it comes down to, is it plausible? So that's really where the, the second half of this conversation comes to. So in order for this to happen, we need all of those electors to vote along President Trump's, uh, along with President Trump. Now, mind you, this is a very aggressive, I don't think this is conjecture, I don't think this is political to say, Chuck, that this is, a, this is an assault on the democratic process, i.e. the democratic process of the popular state vote as we have historically seen our elections to be dependent on. So here, here's my question. Here, here's what I have when, when listening to that, which again, folks, what we try to do is we, we talk very minimally about the subject ahead of time. And, and then we try to debate it here as we would naturally. So you did call into question, or at least that it has been questioned, the act. I'm just going to read a statement here from a little document you might know as the U.S. Constitution. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 3. And if there be more than one who have such a majority and have an equal number of votes, then the House of Representatives shall immediately choose by ballot one of them for president. So what that states is that if we have such a tightly contested vote that they can't decide, or if it's so tightly contested, and as you said, the, the Electoral College Act might, or the Electoral Count Act might be unconstitutional because the Constitution, the supreme law of the land, states that if it's so close, that the House of Representatives gets to choose. And it, so, John, you were looking at it earlier. Who Who is slated to actually control the House of Representatives? 
Yeah, it, it will definitely still be blue. It will definitely still be the Democrats, but that majority is going to get slimmed down. But there's 0% chance that any Democrat is going to vote for Trump in that situation. So um, the question is, you know- So if the House, if, if we follow the constitution directly here and we invalidate the, the Electoral Count Act as unconstitutional, then Biden would win, correct? Correct, but that's aggressive, right? I mean, the Electoral Count Act, um, I mean, the Electoral Count Act kind of states otherwise. I mean, it is a law that was passed by the Senate, so it would have, it would have to be fully unconstitutional. But you it's know, never challenged. It's never it been is. challenged, and it is very confusing. So, I mean, I mean, so it's, it's a tough situation. Where Amy Conant Barrett comes into play. Does this, and this is pure conjecture at this point, at this point, if we're looking at it from a constitutional effect, it has been mentioned that it could be unconstitutional. Could it be challenged? And if it was challenged, and of course we are talking about at this point, could could Trump challenge the, the overall popular vote, right? Uh, as the media seems to state right now, um, as we could, we could probably say that conjecturally that Biden has the the electoral college vote to win based on projections. Sure. Yeah, and no, he does. Point, he does. Yeah. And even Fox News will will state that Biden has the projected votes to win. However, if that happens or if Trump enacts this electoral count act and it looks like he may win could then biden take it to the supreme court to challenge the constitutionally constitutionality of the supreme or of the electoral of no, the man. electoral count act could yeah. he challenge that and then institute the u.s constitution article 2 section 1 clause 3 which says that the House of Representatives would then elect the president. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, it's, it, there's a couple of things that are clear. Um, Joe Biden has absolutely won the November 3rd elections. I mean, he, he uh, well, from uh, assuming there is no smoking gun that's going to come forward showing widespread election fraud, I mean, he is, he has by all accounts won the November 3rd elections by honestly the exact same margin electorally that President Trump won it in 2016. So, yeah. So, looking at, at, at that, even if there is, as we have seen in some case, negligence, right? 2,600 votes in Georgia. Even if there is some cases of proven fraud, which there were a couple brought forward that were then proved, oh, a dead person voted. No, it wasn't actually a dead person yeah. that voted. Yeah. They were actually alive. It's not enough to actually negate the results one way or the other. Correct. And I think that's a key point, Chuck. And and I, I listen, I, I posted something on my Instagram about a week ago. And I said, I have, as you know, I'm a former military man and which a lot of military folks tend to, to lean right. 
And I have a lot of good friends, both that are extreme left, moderates and extreme right. And I posted, I said, hey, if anyone in preparation for this, for this podcast, I said, if anyone out there, this is post the elections, can honestly say that they see a, a path to victory for, for President Trump, please DM me and let me know. Right. And I was like, I, I'm not here to argue. I just, I'm intrigued by what you have to say. And I talked to a lot of folks. Some, I talked to some um, leftists that were, were uh, um, you know, realists and that said, hey, listen, I am a Biden supporter, but here's how I think Trump could quote unquote steal the election. Um, I talked to a lot of moderates that said, you know, and quote, quote, we're not saying steal. No, no, this is what they, by us. Yeah, this is what they actually said. We're correct, not, correct. We're not, yeah, not supporting or deferring anyway in this election. Yeah, yeah and, and that's a key point. Let me let me put this out there. Okay. If President Trump follows this electoral process and goes through the courts and 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 somehow, although I see it. I really, really do see it diminishing every day that goes by, but the possibility of this, but if Trump somehow goes through this whole process, which we kind of crudely described, and I apologize, but we're a few whiskeys deep, that will be 100% constitutional. Whether you want to call it a quote unquote constitutional coup or not, it is legal and he will be your president, whether you like it or not. And I, you know, most folks would consider this again, like I said, you know, it would be a little bit of a, an attack on, on individual democracy. And you may feel that, and you should certainly voice that to your, your legislature and you should voice that to your governor, but, and, but it would be legal whether you, whether we like it or not. And we're Chuck and I are not here to argue and determine what laws are good or bad. That's not why we're here. We'll do that with you over a beer or over a cigar or whatever, but that's not what we're here to talk. We're here to tell you, talk to you about possibilities. And we're here to talk to you about reality. And the reality is that there is not widespread fraud that has yet, there's not been determined to be widespread fraud. President Trump has lost the strong majority of those um, legal challenges that he's put up uh, at the states, and now we're 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 quickly approaching this December eighth date of uh, electoral validation of sorry popular election validation, and we're quickly approaching this December fourteenth date, with which is the slate of which is when the slate of electors needs to be validated as well. Now, um, I would like to move into more of a more even more of a conjecture zone on as to where we are so keep so so key point is it in all conjecture or is it analysis well yeah here's a little bit of analysis so like i said previously president trump has not done well in his legal fights at the state level um there is there are multiple claims of election fraud but be they legitimate claims or not, the hard evidence has not held up, at least not in the courts, which has a very, very strong precedent for validation of evidence, as we know, which is great, which is good, of course. Um, so we know that has not held up. 
he continue. Uh, President Trump continues to claim election fraud. He continues to claim rigged election. He continues to claim um, that he has won. Right? These are all factual statements. I, I'm not judging any of this. Um, so what does that mean? Where does that put us? Uh, I don't know. And, and and can and I guess the big question is, can President Trump pull this off? Even if this is his intent, which I personally believe this is not his intent to, to attempt. And I'll, I will, I'll finish this podcast with what I believe President Trump is doing. But if he tried to pull this off, can he? It's going to take every single Republican House of Representative, sorry, every single Republican Congressman or woman and every single Republican Senator just about is going to have to come go along with this. And, and that is a big, big challenge because a lot of that electorate, especially that moderate electorate is not going to like being marginalized. And, and I feel like that is going to be a huge challenge. Um, you know, we've already seen, we've already seen Lindsey Graham, we've already seen Mitch McConnell, sorry, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell go all in with President Trump. That's, that's not surprising. The President Trump has the base, you know, he, he has a base and it's, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, Jesus, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham both come from very strong um, Republican areas. They are not going to lose their seat as much as the Democrats would love them to. Just like AOC is not going to lose her seat. Um, it's just not going to happen. So they have that flexibility to support a, a, a President Trump, whether he's being aggressive with his politics or not. So the odds are that, you know, the odds are though that those moderate, whether it's Susan Collins or Mitch, Mitt Romney or even Marco Rubio, who has been supportive of President Trump in the short term, although of course they, they've had run-ins in the past, you know, is, are these individuals going to go along with President Trump's plan to focus more on electoral, uh, uh, supposed plan, excuse me, he has not stated this plan, very key point, to go, to go through with this constitutional coup, quote unquote, where he leverages the electoral vote, which is a totally legal constitutional process. I personally do not believe that is possible. I think that the margin of victory of the, the November 3rd elections for, for Joe Biden was large enough that it's going to negate any, absolutely any fight from the, the Trump campaign on this. Um, if I was a betting man, I'd say the reason he is stoking this anger amongst his base and stoking this and just riling up his base with these claims of uh, fraud and these claims of um, rigged elections is probably to um, prepare him to have some kind of an audience with them going into a 2024 election. That is my, that is my bet. But Chuck, talk to me. What do you think? Bro? All right. So here's my assessment based on that. Um, I, I kind of agree with you to a degree. However, so what, where my, my assessment hinges is on what we call 
relative inertia. And we are still almost a month away from that electoral college vote. And remember folks, this is what matters. I, I hate to say it as an American citizen, but your vote only matters so much. At the end of the day, it's whatever that electoral college wants to vote that is going to get it. And where they're going to vote is based on where the energy is. In 2016, we saw this newly rallied base and all this energy given to Trump. He won the electoral college, but not the popular vote. Why? Well, because there's more people living in LA and New York than there are in Nebraska. However, there was an energy about it. And this is something, this is, um, this is an esoteric value. And this is what we have to sometimes apply in intelligence work when we're looking at, hey, if we, if we go in and say, let's, let's jump back to 2017, uh, we have to liberate Mazel from ISIS. Are the, are the citizens there going to back us? Or are they going to start running out with, with uh, you know, um, suicide vests to kill our guys? And it's something you have to, you have to bring in this esoteric value of momentum. And in that same strain, we have to look at this and is this momentum, this inertia that Trump has built up to this point, is it enough to sustain, to sustain this to where a month from now, when these electoral college members go, are they going to feel like this is the guy, we've got him, or are they going to feel like maybe not? And honestly, my, my, my conjecture at this point is that maybe not. I, I don't think it's going to happen in favor of Trump simply because he's going to lose the inertia needed to win the electoral college. And, and that's just an opinion at this point, or as, as we call it, it's, it's an assessment. There are some caveats. Caveats are that you could always have your, you could always have the, the electoral college go in there and decide at the last minute to vote for someone else. You could always have something challenged in the Supreme Court, which, which invalidates, you know, a number of electoral college votes, in which case, and this actually works in my favor for the assessment, as we discussed, the House gets to vote who's going to be president. And in that case, the House, which is blue, I would say is going to vote for Biden. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a great assessment. I mean, when it comes down to it, to summarize all of this, Chuck, Donald Trump, President Trump, absolutely does have a path to victory. It is diminishing, and I think he sees that diminishing. Um, and I think he's flexing. I, I've seen him mentioning, he, just two days ago, he mentioned in quote, this administration, there will not be a lockdown. That implies there is another administration, right? We've also seen, um, for example, he just nominated a head of the Fed that got shot down violently, even by to include Mitch McConnell. 
in, in, you know, voting against that individual. So it, it's, I, I think, so I guess, guess here's what, what I'll sum it down. I'll sum it up with sum it down. Sum it down. Why isn't it sum it down? Why is it sum it up? But um, here's what I'll sum it up with. Um, President Trump is a powerful figure, whether you like him or not. And he has control of the Republican Party. Will he have it for the next four years? Possibly. Um, it is it is highly unlikely that President Trump will be able to successfully pull off this uh, electoral college move. It's unlikely that I could probably assess that with high confidence that he's going even going to attempt it. Um, because the challenge is if he attempts this and he loses, it's a huge, huge impact to uh, credibility. Um, I think he probably sees his chances in 2024 as much higher than his chances of pulling this off this year. So he might just ride that out. You know, uh, uh, Joe Biden, by all accounts, is not the strongest Democratic candidate. Um, we, he didn't perform well in the primaries, to be honest. And if it wasn't for the fact that uh, Warren and Buttigieg and Yang, it wasn't for the fact that they all folded to give him the votes to have someone other than Bernie Sanders represent the Democratic Party for what it's worth. This is the second year it's happened to Bernie, whether you like him or not. Um, it happened, and 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 that's who they push it to. Um, and certainly, President, you know, certainly Joe Biden is qualified for the position. Of course, you know there are questions from mostly the right about his mental health, uh, whether you believe that or don't believe that. He's there, and he clearly won the popular vote, and he clearly won the electoral college. So um, we shall see, but uh, we shall we shall see how it unfolds. I think it's highly unlikely that President Trump is going to attempt to pull off this electoral coup, for lack of better words. And I think it's highly unlikely that he will be able to, should he try. But it, I think it is very likely that he will maintain the strength of the Republican base for at least the next two years, probably four years, um, there's also talks about his son, Donald Trump Jr., becoming the RNC chief or at least controlling that RNC. So we shall see. If you don't like President Trump, you better start getting used to you better start getting used to his face because you're probably going to see it for at least the next four years. And it is what it is. Thank you so much for tuning in. Chuck, what else do you have, bud? So I, I will temper all of that with this. Everyone gets spun up about presidential election. However, if you do the research and you look, it has actually very minimal to do with your day-to-day -day life. Your day-to-day -day is decided by your local elections. And those are important. Everyone goes into, you know, there are, are November elections every four years to decide the president. And they think that's the important vote. But I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say where your roads are built, where your schools are built, these are things that affect you directly and immediately. And those are what you really need to be concerned about. 
vote how you feel one way or the other. But if you're worried about whether you're going to live the next four years, decide who's going to rule that directly, which are your local politicians. And that's all I got. Well, hot damn, if that's not a fantastic closing. All politics are local, as they say. Pay attention to your state legislature. Pay attention to your mayor. You know what? Go knock on your mayor's door because you can. Go talk to him or her. That is who determines how, you know, how many parks you have. That is who determines who builds what where. Are you upset because that gas station got built in the corner when it should have been a park? Go talk to your mayor. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, they don't give a shit about that park. Go talk to your mayor. So that's all we have. But there's one important thing that Chuck and like Ch- Chuck and I like to say at the end of every episode. And what is that, Chuck? Ignorance is a is- slow death. A slow death. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheers.